Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey everybody, welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Um, doing things a little bit different today. So basically, I've been getting a lot of questions on LinkedIn from you know everything ranging from content marketing to website strategy to LinkedIn strategy to how to start a podcast, etc. Um, so what I'm going to do is take some time to answer some of those questions here so that not one person gets the answer, but hopefully it helps um, anybody else that has the same question or finds some of this stuff interesting. So um, basically what I'll do is I'll just read off a question and give you my thoughts on it. So first one I have here is, I'm probably gonna butcher this name, but from uh, Ashish, I think is the name. Um, they asked, taking a website, for example, what are three things um, you think people ought to be doing differently in order to stand out from the rest? Um, great question. The first thing is you need to streamline and slim down your messaging and copy so it's easy to consume. The reason being is when someone comes to a website, the, the last thing they want is to be overwhelmed by the amount of content on there that you as a marketer think should be there. So a good way to do this is speak using their language. Um, speak with things that are interesting to them. So how do you help them? What are the benefits? What value uh, do you bring? And stop trying to cram everything into your website that you think needs to be there. It doesn't need to be this 50 page website. You could get away with five. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that you can slim that down. Um, and I think a lot of websites should be doing that. Uh, number two, I would say is don't try to cram everything into the homepage. You have a website, you can put things deeper into the site. For example, product information, um, let's see here, pricing, uh, resources, etc. I see a lot of websites try to put everything on the homepage because I get it. You're like excited about uh, what you do, what value you provide, but sometimes it's okay for people to click learn more or dig deeper into the site. So don't be afraid of putting some of the, the nitty gritty content later and deeper into the site because people that are interested in buying and doing their research, um, they'll go look for it. Last one I have here is stop using industry lingo on your website to sound smarter. This is so well published on LinkedIn from me. Um, my only caveat is if your buyers use the language that you're putting on your website and no one else understands it, I would say that it's okay because that's how your customers talk. If they're extremely educated and they like the big words, then go for it. But you should really know your customer to make sure. Um, what I see is the not entry-level marketers, but marketers that might be new to a company and don't really understand the product, um, except at like a high level, they will try to overcompensate with the messaging in their on their website and even throughout their marketing and try to make themselves sound smarter as a brand that they know all this stuff. And that can actually be a turnoff to people that are on your website if really you don't. And it's like trying to make up for what you don't know about your product or what you don't know about your customers. So, um, Industry lingo doesn't make you sound smarter unless it's really the lingo that your customers use. All right, next question we have here is from Sean. Just out of curiosity, 
Have you used LinkedIn communities for customer education? I have not. Um, I actually haven't spent much time. I think they're called LinkedIn groups. I haven't spent much time in them myself. I'm in a couple and I think they're super dead. Um, I think it's because LinkedIn doesn't prioritize uh, that part of their platform. Um, however, I am in a couple of Facebook groups. Uh, Dave Gearhart's, for example, I think is a really good one that has good engagement. And if you're looking to build relationships with at least marketers, uh, that's a good route to go. And I mean, Facebook has a ton of groups and they prioritize that part of their platform. So you're going to get reach if you start posting in there. People get notifications when you comment on something in there. So you'll have more interactions and people will start to notice you because you're in their notifications. I haven't really gotten that vibe from LinkedIn at all and not many people use the groups. I mean, I don't even know if they're still active to be honest. Um, just my thoughts on that. <sighs> Michael, where do you draw the line between gated and ungated content? I'm coming around to the idea of ungating all content, but I'm not quite there yet. Good question. Um, so we are 100% ungated and I'm all for it. Um, I can't remember the last time we gated something, maybe like an ebook download or something. That was a long time ago. Um, however, some people would consider this gating. I wouldn't, but an email list signup, obviously you need someone's email list to get or you need someone's email address for them to be on your email list. I wouldn't consider that gating content. I would just say that is someone that's interested and you want them on your list. So obviously you have to get their email. Now don't spam them, actually deliver value and don't try and follow up with an email cadence afterwards. Just give them what they signed up for if it's an email list. The other one is like a live Zoom slash webinar. Um, a lot of times if you get their email address, they can get like their reoccurring email that if it's an event that happens over and over, they can get the notification or add it to their calendar. I Again, I don't see that as gating content. Um, now, this is what does need to be ungated. Ebooks, uh, quick PDF downloads, case studies, pricing pages, explainer videos. Um, I'll get into pricing pages later because there was actually a question about it. But I actually came across a website that they gated their explainer video. Like I legit landed on the website and to watch their opening video to tell what their product did and how, what benefits or what, I didn't actually watch it. So I don't know what was in the video, but it was their explainer video on what their product does. They gated it. And it wasn't just give us your email address. You actually had to fill out like a detailed form on why you should watch the video. And their website wouldn't even explain what their product did. So I immediately bounced, but I was just baffled that that was the approach that a company took just to simply get information or an email address for whatever reason. So definitely don't do that. Next question here. Um, Sean, on your website, do you recommend specifying price exactly? Or is price range good enough? Um, I would say if you can specify price exactly, a lot of SaaS tools, this is possible. Um, definitely do it. Um, as a consumer, I want to see the price. So, and I know I'm not alone there. So if you have the capabilities to do that, definitely just put it on your website. Um, one thing you need to stay away from, and this drives me up a wall, is when <laughs> there's a simple product and you go to the pricing page and it's just another page of benefits and it says reach out. Like that's so annoying. And I can see like 
possibly in the enterprise, if you're selling it to the enter- enterprise space, where it's a very nuanced, um, customized product or software or whatever it is, I can see why people would need out uh, to reach out for pricing. So I get that. But seriously, for a cheap SaaS tool or even like mid to high price range, don't do the trick where you try to get people to your price your pricing page only to be like, hey, book a demo. It's really annoying. Um, as for like price range, I'm actually, I'm a pretty big fan of this. We have this on our website. So we have both. Um, for us, since we do web development, every project is very custom. Um, however, we have like, we start at 10K on our website. That's what we say. Hey, our redesign projects start at $10,000 and go up. At least it gives someone like the clarification as to, oh, okay, this could be in my price range or no, and they disqualify themselves. Um, I th- I'm a huge fan of that. As a consumer, again, I really do enjoy that. Um, being able to go to a website and kind of qualify myself. Um, now, however, we do have packages like maintenance, for example, where we specify this is how much it is per month and it's a set price and we put it on our website. Um, I think the thing that that companies I have heard, at least, they're like, well, we don't want our competitors to see our pricing or we don't want to be price shopped. Um, at that point, if you are really worried about people price checking you, you're now a commodity and you're not really a brand. Um, for us, if people price check us, then that's really not who we want to do business with. And you have to identify like, hey, is this the stance that our company takes or are we okay with being a commodity? Um, I don't know, just something to think about. Uh, next question is from Masuma. Do you think visual website design still counts significantly to help build a positive overall impression in your user's mind? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely plays a part. Um, and really, uh, what's the question? Positive overall impression? Yes, I do. Um, but it's not the end all messaging over design has been my philosophy. And I know that's different coming from a web developer. Um, but I think messaging is way more important. So think about it this way. If you were to go to a website and they clearly told you what they did, how they're going to make your life better, how to buy some client testimonials, etc., And it was clearly laid out, but the design was pretty subpar. You'd probably still do business with them because you can get past it, right? You'll, you understand what they do. You need their product. You buy from them. However, if you were to go to a website that looked as good as Apple's website, right? And the messaging and the copy were so unclear, they were cluttered and you had no idea what the product even was, let alone how it can help you. You're not going to buy from this company. So that's why I always prioritize the message over the design. But as a user, obviously design plays a huge part and definitely does help the user experience. Um, If you do both well, then you're just going to win. But a poorly designed website won't turn me away. Um, It may hinder like my experience, I might not enjoy it. Um, But if it's a website that I don't understand, that will definitely turn me away. Paul asked, uh, what vendor do you use for email blast? (laughs) We use HubSpot. Um, We did use uh, what was it? Uh, active campaign for a while. Um, but a lot of our marketing stuff and our, our client information is in HubSpot. So we just put it all in one spot. Um, but active campaign is also pretty good. Um, Kim asked, 
what's worked best for you in general of way in general by way of streamlining your website. I like this one. Um, I think I touched on it earlier, but the belief that everything about your product or your service needs to be crammed on your homepage is fundamentally wrong. You only need to, to touch on a few key benefits and features and then direct your traffic deeper into the site if they want to learn more. And if their intent is high and they're looking to, the, to do their research and they, they have an affinity toward your brand and they might be excited to buy, they're going to go look for it. And those are the people that you want to do business with. Um, a lot of times buyers are coming off, uh, coming to the website because they're they're actually ready to close. So you've done your homework or your due diligence in social networks. You've created really good content. You, you maybe they know you from what they've seen on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. They're ready to buy because of the marketing efforts that you put in. And you need to make it easy for them. And that's what I mean by streamlining. Um, if they come to your website and it's just, again, even though they know what you do because of the rest of your marketing, they come to your website and it says something totally different or it's really hard to interpret. Now they're going to start questioning, wait, is this really what I thought they did all this time? Maybe I shouldn't be um, buying this product or this software. Um, that's how I look at it. And as a consumer, I'm the same way. Um, if I'm ready to go to a website to buy, I wanna be able to do that easily within a click or two um, or book a demo or whatever it may be. Um, next question here is from Michael. Um, how narrow should the thing or topic be uh, that you talk about on social? So I'll use LinkedIn as an example. Uh, he also put, okay, so here's some examples. He said, uh, mindset, strategy, product creation, marketing, prospecting, sales, operations, and processes. Um, so those are some examples he gave. And then he asked, or should we go even more narrow? Um, I'm actually, I, I prefer going a little bit more broad. Otherwise, you're going to run out of things to talk about. If you're trying to build an audience on LinkedIn, then eventually, if you're talking about, um, let's uh, pull something out of a hat here. If you're talking about uh, how to make the homepage of your website better, and that's all the content you have, you're probably gonna be good for like a month. But you could talk about marketing and then different buckets of marketing and then people will know you for marketing. So you could talk about marketing, you could talk about um, as your umbrella and then below that you have messaging and then you have maybe AVM strategies or uh, paid social, right? Those can be your your things or demand gen or whatever. Um, I think that if you have a bigger umbrella and then those sub buckets below that, you're going to have a much broader audience. And then on top of that, you're not going to run out of things to talk about. Um, so I would pick, I mean, those are great, like high, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Top of, I don't know, whatever. Those are good things to talk about. And then I would talk about them probably like 80% of the time and then go really deep on something 20% of the time or maybe some other random topic that you're passionate about just to kind of keep people not on their toes, but more engaged. Like, Oh, this person doesn't only know website copy or, um, messaging through marketing campaigns, whatever it may be. So I think again, to recap, definitely go broad. Um, but not too broad. I think the list there, we have mindset strategy, product creation, marketing prospects, prospecting sales, operations and processes, leadership. I think all of those are great to build off of and then start um, identifying like a few buckets below that that you really specialize in. I think the key there though is 
whichever one you know will be most helpful for your buyer, just talk about that one um, or your audience if you you know you don't really have a buyer. A couple more questions here. We have uh, one from Jason. Should my ICP evolve over time? Uh, should it? I don't know. Will it evolve? Most likely. Um, a couple of examples. Our ICP has changed over the years. We used to uh, build websites for small businesses. And then we shifted into the SaaS space once we had a few of those clients and realized this is the direction that we want to go. Um, it was better for our company. So we made the decision to do that. And therefore our ICP changed. Um, I have heard that example from many companies and no company is going to go in uh, with a go to market strategy and, and stay that way. I think that it will evolve over time. I don't think that it's like a rule that it should, but I think you should be ready for it and open for it when the time comes, because the, the more you, you realize the product market fit, or maybe you realize that there wasn't one and you have to change your go to market strategy. Um, yeah, I think that your ICP will evolve over time. Uh, I just don't think it's a rule that it needs to. Okay. Last question here is from Jesse. Okay. Listening to customers, teammates, and your overall audience is collecting qualitative data. Is that you're focusing, is that, is that you're following your gut or using more than quantitative uh, metrics to make decisions? Okay. Let me try and decipher this. What I, what I think she means is, um, is, follow, is following qualitative data the same as following your gut? And if not, Jesse, feel free to reach out and clarify. Um, is following qualitative data the same as following your gut? I, I think it's a combination of both and I would consider them the same because there's no necessarily numbers behind qualitative data, but it is very important. So for example, if I had 25 people DM me on LinkedIn and say, you have a really good podcast, I would take that and say, well, we should probably continue the podcast, especially if they're ideal buyers or people that we want to build an audience around. That's really good qualitative data. And I guess you could say that that is following my gut, but I would think that'd be following your gut with really good results afterwards. So yeah, I guess uh, qualitative data would be following your gut. And again, Jesse, if that's not what you meant by the question, feel free to, to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, cool. Anyway, that is all that I have. Hopefully this was something different uh, for you guys. Um, if you do have questions, we have quite a few weeks of questions in the can ready to go. We'll do a few more of these episodes. But if you guys like this, let me know. Or you can start sending some questions through LinkedIn DM. Just DM me on LinkedIn and we will cover it on a podcast um, and hopefully do it justice. So Hope you guys like this. If you like it, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Just, well, you don't even have to leave a review. Just rate the podcast if you enjoy this. And uh, we'll be back for more. So appreciate it. If you have any questions, just shoot me a DM on LinkedIn and we'll cover it on the show.